My name is Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, I have in studio as my guest, the Reverend Eric Cherry from the First Unitarian Universalist Society located right here in Franklin. Welcome, Eric. Hey, thanks, Jim, and thanks for um, inviting me to come on down today. It's great to be with you on your radio program. I'm thrilled you're here. <laughs> we have, for, for many, many years, I have taken, uh, along with the group, Learn to Cope, yes. advantage of your beautiful sanctuary space, and we're very, very grateful to you and everybody that continues to host that important group for us every Monday night. Well, it's an opportunity for our congregation to support something that matters in our community, something that um, uh, a, an initiative, uh, a ministry, if you will, that uh, makes a difference in the lives of countless people. Uh, it's an uh, interesting coincidence that um, uh, the first time that I came in contact was Learn to Cope when was when it was first developing in, gosh, I want to say the... Um, the early 2000s, um, and um, uh, it's really terrific to be connected with um, the initiative again today. Yeah, it really, it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. Joanne Peterson's a founder. She's a good friend. And um, it was in that spirit that we met. You were, you were looking for information on uh, what the Safe Coalition does that yes. I've been involved with for years, and you were kind enough to, to reach out through a mutual friend. And it renewed my interest uh, in the Unitarian Universalist Society, in the mission of the church, mm. and something I have never known about. I've often thought about it as I've sat in your sanctuary. Yeah. And uh, certainly uh, sitting with you for a couple of hours uh Piqued my interest to know more about you, Eric. Sure. Um, well, I'm originally from Long Island, New York. I grew up there uh, in a family that um, were very active Unitarian Universalists in Stony Brook, New York. Uh, finished high school there. Um, our youth group at that church was a really important part of my life. Um, and uh, went to college uh, at a Quaker school in Indiana, Earlham College. Uh -huh. uh, those were formative spiritual years in my life, uh, uh, getting to know um, the Quaker way in religion, uh, sitting in silence, preparing for um, inspiration from God. Interesting. Um, and... Um, uh, Next step was uh, a seminary in Chicago. Right. Uh, served my first church in Burlington, Iowa. Um, came out east again in 2001 and uh, served a Unitarian Universalist church in Easton, Massachusetts. Right. Unity Church, which is where I um, met Joanne Peterson. Right. Um, and... Uh, was there until 2007 when I had an opportunity to do some uh, more administrative work for the denomination. Um, uh, the Unitarian Universalist Association headquarters is uh, in the Seaport District of Boston, so commuted there for 11 years. Not and, a bad place to work. Or not bad. No. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, and then just this past August was uh, called to serve. Uh, the church here in Franklin. Yeah, well, we're glad you're here. And, and you are living in Mansfield, is that correct? I do. My wife and I live in Mansfield. We've yeah, been there since 2003 or so. Children? We don't have children. Yeah. 
Uh, but uh, lots of children are a part of our lives sure from are. extended family and from the church. Busy, busy place. <laughs> Eric, um, you, you mentioned you, were, you went right from college to seminary. Mm. So you were, you were uh, inspired in, in the direction of becoming a pastor very, very early on in life. Can you talk a little bit about some of those early inspirations and, and where maybe you found the call? Sure. Well, like a lot of people, um, I felt the importance of religious community at an early age. Um, the um, uh, not just the spiritual message, but the role of community uh, during my developmental years was really important. And um, I received so many gifts from that experience, and those kind of translated into wanting to find a way to um, to pay forward to return those gifts in religious community uh, as well. Um, and wasn't exactly sure. Uh, how that was going to happen in my life until uh, sometime during college. I was looking at helping professions and uh, doing a little bit of religious studies uh, uh, at that point. Um, but I would say it was um, uh, while spending about six months uh, living in the old city of Jerusalem in 1991 on wow. an off-campus program that the call uh, really began to feel um, powerful and, and like it needed a response and at that point, I, I started thinking seriously about uh, following uh, the, um, the call and uh, considering seminary. And sure. Did you grow up as a Unitarian Universalist? I did. You I did. I did. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, important part of my family's life. Important part, I'll bet. So um, from that call, you started out in your mission, and we just heard about the, the, where you've been employed in the yeah. past. Now, you've landed in Franklin. You've had a chance to get your feet wet. What are your impressions of the community so far in your in your parish more specifically well so franklin has been a really welcoming town uh and that's been gratifying um people like you have uh, been generous with their time in helping me to understand you know uh how things work here what issues are in play um how uh religious people and people in general can be a part of um uh, the important um uh, community development work that happens here. I'm in awe of, uh, of the SAFE Coalition and its partner, Learn to Cope, obviously. But um, lots of other movements as well, including the um, Franklin Interfaith Council, which has been also a, just a really welcoming place for uh, a new minister in town. And actually, uh, there are a number of, uh, of uh, new ministers in, in, uh, in Franklin these days. It's been great. The, um, you know, one of the hardest things that uh, struck um, our country and our town uh, this fall was the um, the terrible violence at uh, right. uh, the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Right. And the Franklin interfaith community um, responded in a really healthy way and brought leadership to that issue, uh, gathered um the community together for a worship service and a witness to uh, the idea that um, our community is going to embrace all people beyond difference, that mm. uh, uh, this is and continues to be no place for hate. Um, and to be able to just kind of step into a uh, interfaith council that is already committed to that and uh, just be one more voice in that really central work of religious people mm. um, was um, really special. Yeah, you know, you bring up such an important point about the role of religious organizations, mm. churches, 
communities of faith relative to sorting through some of these very, very difficult issues. And boy, if there was ever a time when we needed to be together and the community indeed responded, it was around that tragedy. I know uh, Rabbi Tom Alpert had a Shabbat uh, that was very well attended by members of the community from all denominations. Uh, And I know from the school committee here in Franklin that the schools were handling it. Um, I think to me, it's one of the most interesting things about faith communities. And that is the way that people from all different backgrounds can come together whenever your Sabbath happens to be, or in a particular uh, event like this that may be specially held and drop whatever roles or whatever uh, costumes we walk around in on a daily basis and say, you know, we're all in this thing together and let's think communally about a response to something like this. Is that your experience? That's my, that is my experience. And um, I would say different communities, different towns, different cities have proceeded along that path at different paces and at, in, in different ways. Um, and uh, it appears to me as a newcomer to Franklin that your religious community here, your interfaith religious community, is well along that path. Um, the, um, uh, the Shabbat service that, um, uh, Rabbi Tom Alpert, uh, hosted, uh, as you, I think, you know, was held at the Federated Church in town yes, and, right, right. Uh, and there was a, a very, um, respectful, appreciative, uh, spirit in the room by people from all religious traditions. And, uh, we need more of that. Uh, we need more of that. We really do. And that's going to lead me to a seg- beautiful segue into Unitarian Universalism. Before we do that, I want to remind everybody, we are speaking with the Reverend Eric Cherry. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, chaptersradio.com. Eric, I wanted to dig in uh, to a little bit of um, what it is to be a Unitarian Universalist, and in particular, what are the major tenets of your practice? So if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us, I'd appreciate it. I'd be glad to. Uh, well, uh, in um, in the United States, our religious tradition goes back to the earliest days of uh, of the colonies and the establishment of uh, uh, of the United States. Um, as a liberal, open-minded, free-thinking trend in uh, largely the congregational churches of mm-hmm. um, uh, of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, and uh, some of the uh, early presidents of the United States counted themselves as Unitarians. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the, the basic uh, theological idea that they held on to, which we hold on to, is that um, a, a free and responsible path of, um, of spiritual practice, of, of religious engagement, is really healthy. Uh, and... Um, while I have great respect for religious traditions that are established around a dogmatic point of view, I have great respect for that. Our point of view is a little bit different. We're uh, focused on um, assuring that all Unitarian Universalists are following a spiritual path with broad acceptance of different ones and translating that into living lives of purpose, meaning, and joy. Um, that kind of result of um, living a life of faith is where our attention is, um, as it is for many religious uh, groups, but uh, maybe in a unique way for us since dogma isn't at the center. Sure. Um, And uh, at the same time, uh, as the Unitarian tradition was 
establishing itself. Uh, a second uh, um, uh, predecessor of uh, Unitarian Universalism was also developing the, the Universalist Church. And our congregation here in Franklin has its history in that theological tradition, uh, which um, took the point of view that um, all people ultimately are saved, that um, a loving God um, would not um, uh, require eternal punishment for uh, the sin, the uh, for a mortal sin of any person. And um, that idea, universal salvation, um, became a very popular one in the United States, particularly during the Civil War. Um, and our congregation here in Franklin was established through that tradition in uh, 1856. We've uh, been here ever since. Um, and um, in 1961, I'll jump far, far ahead, the Unitarians and the Universalists merged uh, to create the Unitarian Universalist Association, and um, that's the denominational body that our church is within today. So I want you to know, that was beautiful, thank you. What I want you to know, what I just heard, yeah. there's hope for Jim Derrick. <laughs> there's hope for all of us. There's hope for all of us, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's it's you answered one of the questions, I think, although I'm going to ask it um god mm. how does god fit in because you mentioned the absence of 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 a particular dogma that you're that you're following and i know i grew up episcopalian uh we recite the apostles creed every week there's uh uh you know i, I was encouraged very early on by a very very dear friend of mine priest uh that that made sure that i understood that doubting and questioning was a central part of our faith right. but but beyond that i mean we we certainly um uh, pray with intention to a particular sure. dogmatic tradition. That's a long-winded way of asking you, where does God fit in and how does God fit into a Unitarian uh, yeah. theology or philosophy? Great question. Uh, so for Unitarian Universalists, we don't require uh, faith in um, in God to be a part of our religious tradition. Um, as I'm sure you know, there are uh, deeply religious people all over the world who um, follow a, a spiritual path that does not require uh, belief in a uh, in a divinity. And we believe that's a um, that's a reasonable direction for um, any person to follow. The, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is just one example of uh, of someone who isn't a theist that's following. A, a really powerful religious path and you know what he likes to say is that his religion is kindness and many Unitarian Universalists would um, embrace that idea as well um, uh, but there are uh, as well many Unitarian Universalists who are theists who uh, uh, follow um, uh, a belief in uh, in a divinity and um, uh, that's reflected uh, in our worship services, in our spiritual practices, as much as a more humanistic approach to um, to religion is as well. So a great deal of theological diversity in the room when we're worshiping on Sunday mornings. We like it that way. We think that um, uh, it's a special opportunity to be walking together uh on a spiritual journey with people who have very uh, diverse theological ideas. That's who we are. Fabulous. And, and you know, one of the things that I'm familiar with is uh, a 12-step program, mm. which many people might be familiar with, yeah. <clears throat> I participate in. And uh, that 12-step program, a lot of people wrestle in these programs with the word God. Yeah. And in many, many cases, uh, people have used 
I, in my experience, it's been that difficult struggle over what is God that has had people turn their back on a program that, in my opinion, it can literally be life-transforming. In fact, it is transformed many, many thousands of lives over, over time. As I've read that text, I've come to appreciate that it's a willingness to believe in a higher power mm. is really what they're asking mm. for. So it's a very liberalized term mm-hmm. and, and shouldn't be thought of in the dogmatic way that I tend to approach it based mm. on my upbringing. And um, when you when you engage with other people, as you said, from a variety of faith traditions or a, that come from a variety of, um, of, of the rich tapestry of, of, of life, and you approach it with that willingness, it's amazing the amount of work and amount of life-affirming progress that you can make by following that open-minded principle and engaging with people in conversation around the central idea that I know you're in my philosophies or upbringing, our idea of what God is may differ, but there's a lot of areas that we can agree upon, so let's have a conversation. Well, I am right with you, Jim, and um, the uh, uh, um, 12-step programs have been an important part of spiritual journeys for Unitarian Universalists as well uh, as as people of of all religious traditions. Um, And... um, Actually, just recently, I was um, reading through a um, a publication of um, reflections by Unitarian Universalists who have uh, worked the steps, mm-hmm. and um, really blown away by how important um, that um, that first step uh, was in their lives. Whether they came to it from a more traditional, dogmatic understanding of God, or from a um, uh, a less uh, dogmatic one, right. less traditional one. Right. Um, that's um, that's the work of um, of faith development, and yes. and so I would say that uh, that to do faith work is a human process. Uh, it's something. It's a project that uh, that every person uh, that's ever existed and whoever will uh, has the opportunity to walk along, regardless of what particular um, religious idea grabs them along the way, that, mm-hmm. that it's that it's human work uh, to ask, what makes life meaningful? What am I ultimately concerned about? Um, and how can I shape my life uh, to be sure that um, that the values extending from that are made real in, in who I am? Yeah, you put that beautifully. And I, I think for me, uh, growing up, I, uh, my father always instilled in me that it was better to believe in something to, than to believe in nothing. Mm. That was the fundamental principle. Mm. And, and in his case, he, he, he showed that to us as, as kids by taking us to an Episcopal church. Yeah. But he's never said that's the only way. Um, he's just encouraged us to be part of a faith community. And I've tried to impart that to my kids. The message that I have for my kids, and I'm interested in your comment on this, is that in order to be prepared for life. You know, we, we, we want kids to do reading. We want them to write. We want them to do arithmetic, get certain grades, go into a trade, go on to higher education. We have our dreams for our kids. I'm just glad and lucky that my dad included being part of a faith community as part of my early education, because for me, what has happened in my experience is that the preparation I did as a child Uh, was critically important to me in my 30s when I had a crisis. Mm. And then again, 
when I was 40, and then again mm. when I was 45. And guess what? Those crises tend to pick up steam as we all get older. Mm. But if I was not in practice, if I hadn't practiced that um, excellent sage advice my dad gave me over time, I would have found myself flat-footed. So the religious community to me has been life-affirming and life-saving. Amen. And uh, what a blessing uh, uh, your father's message must have been for your life. Uh, may we all be so fortunate to uh, have children in our lives who get similar messages. Um, the uh, right, uh, the um, the the role of a spiritually grounded community in the life of a child, uh, as much as in a person in any decade of their life, is really can't the importance of it can't be overstated. It uh, it's a um, uh, it's a cushion to fall into when life is crushing. Uh, it's an inspiration for uh, facing uh, challenges when they arise. Um, it lays the foundations of um, living an ethical and a moral life. And frankly, you know, if, uh, if the most important thing it does is help a person to know uh, that their neighbor, regardless of any differences, deserves their love, then uh, it's doing something incredibly precious and important. And um, I think uh, uh, in the at the end of the day, that's what um, religious communities in Franklin and uh, uh, all around the world are, are really most responsible for uh, helping us to do. I want to remind everybody, we are speaking with the Reverend Eric Cherry from the First Unitarian Universalist Society right here in Franklin on 262 Chestnut Street. That's right. right. And uh, my name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, www.chaptersradio.com. Eric, before we go too much further, I'm imagining people driving around in their cars or listening on their radios and thinking, I've always wondered about that church. How do I find them? So how do they find you? Well, uh, um, come come and join us for a Sunday service at 10 a.m. On, on Sunday mornings. Uh, the way that we worship is uh, likely to be very familiar to folks who've uh, experienced um, uh, Protestant, liberal, Christian uh, uh, traditions in, in other congregations. Um, and um, also consider visiting us online at our website, F-U-S-F. Dot org. That's for First Universalist Society of Franklin, FUSF.org. Uh, lots of background information about who we are, how we gather, uh, programs for children and youth. And uh, hey, uh, drop me a line, uh, minister at FUSF.org, if you just want to check in and um, talk some more about um, what's happening at First Universalist. And if you haven't guessed, uh, I will tell you, from my personal experience, Eric is one of the more friendly and engaging people you will meet. So at the very least, if you have any questions, give him a call, get by the office, say hello. He's a wonderful guy and you won't be disappointed. I promise you that. Um, Eric, a fundamental principle of Unitarian Universalism is welcoming, underscored, right? All caps. Yes. Uh, and uh, talk to me a little bit about what welcoming means to you at the Unitarian Universalist Church. Well, it means that uh, regardless of who you are, what your faith path is, who you love, um, what uh, identities you may have, we have a, uh, 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 we welcome you. We um, 
embrace you. We uh, invite you to be an integral part of who we are as a religious community. These have been commitments of Unitarian Universalism and uh, First Universalist Society in Franklin for decades. Um, that's uh, sometimes meant that um, our um, uh, emphasis on a welcome for the LGBT community is a very important part of our identity. Uh, it's, uh, it's a central part of who we are. Um, but ex it extends, obviously, far beyond that as well. Um, it, it's hard for me to imagine uh, any person with any identity not feeling at home, welcomed and loved in Unitarian Universalism. That's uh, a key uh, responsibility that, uh, that we take on, embrace, and that I think we uh, do pretty well. How important is that these days? I, I tell you, Eric, I have been so heartened by my uh, tw now 29-year-old and 27-year-old son, and now my 17-year-old son, um, lack of, uh, well, it seems that they're blind to many of the differences that I used to call attention to when, you know, when I grew up, I'm 58 years of age now. Um, so, you know, my friend, my friend, my son has friends that are uh, gay. He has friends, uh, all, all races, creeds. It, 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 they literally, it's not a subject of conversation for them. Um, that's not the truth everywhere, and I know it's not the truth for people of all ages, but how important to have a faith community that is welcoming to all, where no one's marginalized? I think it's, in, it's incredibly important, and it's equally important for uh, people who are straight, uh, even people who are um, uh, uh, like me, straight, white, male, uh, don't face the realities of oppression uh, on a daily basis the way that many other people do, uh, to be a part of a community that um, welcomes equally uh, people who do identify in ways that, um, uh, that sometimes create create oppressive situations for them, teaches me, teaches us uh, very important lessons about what it means to be a neighbor, what it means to love, uh, what it means to get beyond um, the uh, the challenges of, uh, of difference that uh, sometimes we uh, unnecessarily learn uh, throughout our lives. And, you know, there was a day when um, being welcoming was a controversial issue for religious communities. Mm. Uh, that day is over. Uh, thank God for uh, most religious communities. Uh, may that ever be so. Uh, may that be so for our country and for our world. Um, and, you know, we have a we all have a great deal of work still to do in order to get to that uh, blessed time. Um, but it's coming. And uh, the um, moral arc of the universe uh, does bend toward justice. And uh, as long as uh, people of goodwill are tugging on that arc, uh, bringing us closer to that day, um, then we're on the right path. What a great message. And, you know, today, Eric, um, I, without taking political sides, I find our current environment on a federal basis to be um, not so much Republican and Democrat for me personally, but it is more one about uh, morality versus immorality. It's one of ethics. It's one of values. Um, of course, I'm speaking of our commander in chief. Mm -hmm. The messaging that's coming out from the White House is uh, uh, frightening at, at best for me. And uh Oftentimes, I find myself uh, feeling that we're almost in a battle between good versus evil mm. uh, with some of this messaging. 
I really don't think it's representative of what's, of what's going on on a national basis. Mm. However, I do think it's given license to some groups, uh, for instance, what happened in Charlottesville, uh, to yes. some groups, uh, neo-Nazi, white supremacist groups in particular, to uh, embolden their voices. Yes. And and so I'm, I'm fearful that uh, as these voices become emboldened, some in our uh, communities that feel disenfranchised may be inclined to to try to find a voice and belonging with those groups. That's my fear. But I will say that on the other side of that, you mentioned what happened uh, recently uh, in uh, Pennsylvania and the interfaith community here locally, their response to that. And and I find a lot of, um, of uh, to take a lot of hope away from events like that. But do you feel, sense the same type of struggle on a national basis? I do. And in the midst of it, finding reasons to hope, finding the, the courage to hope is a, uh, a basic uh, 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 responsibility of religious communities to bring us back to that. Um, you know, religious communities rarely uh, align with a, uh, with a political pathway. We, you know, we all know that every uh, political pathway is flawed, uh, but we don't hesitate to raise our voices on um, moral, ethical issues that our faiths call us to. And um, that's the that is also true for Unitarian Universalism. Uh, when political leaders are um, are stoking the fires of basic uh, sins within American history, like white supremacy, uh, we call that out. And we recognize that this is a um, a. Uh, a, a struggle that um, goes back to our beginnings. Um, decentering white supremacy is a religious requirement today. It's faith work. Uh, and um, when political leaders get in the way of uh, changing that, of helping us move toward racial justice, uh, then we're going to be loud uh, and, um, and noticing and witnessing to um, to how our leaders are failing us and calling our each other, all of us, back to being on that path, that mm-hmm. hard, that's that important struggle um, that all of us need to be able to do our part if um, we're going to um, overcome this um, basic. DNA matter of white supremacy in, in American culture. As I listen to you, I hear silence is complicity. Silence is complicity. We're, we're called to, to be uh, loud and proud and um, in all kinds of ways. And uh, religious communities can help us to do that. Sure, sure. Is the Unitarian Universalist Society, church in general, is it involved on a political basis? It's not involved on a political basis. We're nonpartisan, yeah. uh, but we are actively involved. I should say on social issues. On social issues, yeah. very actively involved in social issues, uh, both um, as a, an independent religious tradition and often in coalition with uh, religious groups um, uh, of all different sorts around um, uh, around the country and around the world. As a pastor, do you find yourself involved with uh, community members wanting to organize to 
to maybe march down in D.C. or to uh, take a cause. There must be causes going around constantly. Absolutely, all the time. Uh, in fact, uh, the uh, First Universal Society in Franklin was uh, publicly witnessing in support of the uh, ballot referendum on transgender rights just before uh, the last um, sure. election day. And um, uh, on many issues, we will indeed be uh, uh, present uh, um, uh, demonstrating Demonstrating, witnessing, and uh, participating in, in coalition. That's work. great. I don't know about you, but in a time when the climate is literally burning up around us, I'm not interested in debating about the use of public bathrooms. However, I do understand, and I I, I, I know where my vote went on that. Uh, having stood at the polls with a transgendered young man uh, the entire day uh, on November 6th, I, uh, I can tell you that um, I really got a great education on why it was important to vote that day on that issue. And I'm glad uh, the vote turned out the way it did. I want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Eric Cherry. Eric is the pastor at First Unitarian Universalist Society here in Franklin, 262 Chestnut Street is the address. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, www.chaptersradio.com. Eric, as we wrap up the final segment, I thought that I would ask you a couple of questions about how faith um, informs you in particular. Um, relative to some some issues that I find myself struggling with, and I imagine other contemporaries of mine struggling with, um, let's talk about childhood illness. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had uh, recently uh, a friend of mine whose uh, young son was diagnosed with leukemia, mm-hmm. and I find myself I found myself in conversation with him, and he said to me, "Jim, where is God in this?" Mm-hmm. And I struggled for an answer. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that that struggle is the faith work, really, and um, I would be cautious about any religious message that had a specific, direct, obvious answer to that. Instead, um, the pastoral work that I would bring to that kind of uh, issue is um, to struggle with what, um, uh, how, how does it feel to not know um, how this was possible, how this was allowed to happen, how if your spiritual uh, view is um, that uh, that that God is involved in in your life, uh, how is it that God allowed this to happen? That's an eternal question. It's one that um, uh, we're called to struggle with more than to answer. Uh, and the um, uh, the hope that I would have is that as people face those kinds of tragedies, those kind of concerns, is that religious people um, gather around, that they care, that they express um, the love that um, uh, we are asked to express by all religious traditions, are present to the questions, uh, aren't afraid to engage with the doubts that, uh, that emerge. Um, and uh, be a source of of hope and love even when things are very, very hard. And, Jim, I don't have to tell you, things are often very, very hard. Um, We can be there for each other uh, even when the answers to difficult theological questions aren't obvious. Right, right. And, you know, I I, I love your answer to that. I I was brought up not to believe that that a God— had uh, had us on strings like a marionette or caused anybody, regardless of their 
the nature of their sin to become ill or uh, in any way struggle. Alternatively, I was I was brought to believe that um, that people just uh, it was free will mm. uh, existed and there was a random nature to DNA to our genetic makeup and so and environmental factors and people will get sick. Mm where God existed for me was in that area around what you just discussed, mm-hmm. which was how do I become a resilient human being that can stand up to trouble mm. that can shine in the face of adversity. And mm. yes, that shining oftentimes is precipitated by and includes a healthy dose of pain, yeah. but the pain could be transformative. Could you could find a way to use that pain to become something greater than you were prior to experiencing it but I couldn't do it alone. Mm. I had to do it in community. In community. And and to me, that's where God existed. But again, um, I, I love your answer answer to that. Yeah. Well, God, divine love shows up in the struggle and uh, in any struggle that a person is going through, uh, by whatever name you uh, you describe the uh, that um, strengthening that um, that promise of uh, of uh, recovery um and um the the neighbors uh the uh the 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 parishioners that you are are involved with are are a manifestation of that um that power that strength uh being alive in uh, in the struggle and in the recovery and um uh, may that ever be so for for people facing difficult um, realities about life do you find, Eric, that the nature of, of what you do uh, during your service and around your community, uh, of being so open and welcoming and inviting conversation, inviting healthy, loving debate with your neighbors, do you find it has a way of equalizing the playing field and allowing people to understand that we're all born of a common experience, that some experiences like pain, suffering, grieving, uh, depression, incredible joy, are common experiences, and we feel less alone. Uh, I do, and uh, I, I suspect that you do as well. And uh, to be brought back to uh, the um, the shared experience of what it means to be alive uh, in the face of uh, challenging times and joyful times uh, is uh, is a key part of that faith project that we were talking about earlier. This is the reality check. This is um, the reminder that um, uh, to be alive means to struggle. uh, And may we all be blessed enough to struggle uh, along with people who care and love us and remind us of, um, uh, of divine promises as well. May we be lucky and blessed enough to be alive to struggle. Indeed. I love that. Eric, I can't thank you enough for coming down today. I really, really appreciate it. I am thrilled to get to know you. And um, I would encourage everybody to take a look at the Unitarian Universalist Church. It's a great community right here at 262 Chestnut Street. So the phone number for the Unitarian Universalist Church here in Franklin is 508-528-5348 or uh, visit us online at F. USF.org, First Universalist Society of Franklin.org. And your services are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., and all are welcome. All are welcome. For my guest, Eric Cherry, my name is Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters, and I'll see you next week.